Let us worship God. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Almighty and most gracious God, thou hast given us this day of such light and beauty at the beginning of another new week and the first Lord's Day of another month. We thank thee, Lord, that as the times and the seasons change, thou remainest the same yesterday, today, and forever. Empty us now, Lord, of all the distractions of the world, all the noise and busyness of our daily tasks and duties which are so much with us, and focus our thoughts and attention now upon Thee, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Fill us with Thy Spirit, and help us now with Thy grace, and go with us into this time of worship together, sanctifying our gathering and forgiving us for all our sin. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we'll sing to the Lord's praise and sing Psalms number 66. Sing Psalms number 66, of which we'll sing the verses marked 1 to 6. That is the first five stanzas. Shout loud with joy to God, all earth, your chorus raise. Sing loud the honour of his name, and glorious make his praise, and so on, to the verse marked 6, to let his people pass on foot through waters broad. He turned the sea into dry, dry land. Let us rejoice in God. These first five stanzas from Sing Psalms number 66, to God's praise.
Well, let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we thank Thee for all that we have been singing about of the wonder of how Thou didst turn the sea into the dry land, how Thou didst lead Thy people, Lord, by the way that Thou wouldst have them to go, and that Thou wast a guide and a protector unto them. Of what we know Thee to have done in the past, we pray Thee to be with us now and help us in this present time. For we have need of Thee just like Thy people did of old. We have need, Lord, to be freed from the the bondage and slavery of sin and of just the, the deadness of the way the world views everything. And we have need to be able to have our eyes open to behold the glory and the wonder that thou hast laid up for those that love thee. So, Lord, we adore thee now today, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We lift up our hearts to thee. We rejoice that thou art our God and our Father, and that thou hast bidden us to draw near to thee with this childlike intimacy and love. Help us then today, as we adore thee, to rejoice that thou, O Holy Trinity, art indeed our God and our Saviour. But we're conscious, Lord, the nearer we draw to Thee and the greater Thy radiance and the power of the light that shines then into our lives, the more clearly we can see how often we've sinned against Thee and fallen short of all Thy good intentions and commands for us. We know that we failed even by our own feeble standards. No matter how low we set the bar, we still end up falling short. And so, Lord, as we look into our own lives, we ask forgiveness for the many ways that we have let thee down for the many ways we have sinned against thee and broken thy teachings and commandments and transgressed thy laws but also Lord when we think of all the good things we ought to have done when we think of the people we should perhaps have helped or got in touch with or sought to encourage with a kind word or a smile or a gesture of support and how we just didn't do it Lord we just let the opportunity pass So when we think of all the good that we have failed to do and we throw that into the balance with all the the sin we've actively committed, we know that there's no good in us at all. And we are such sinners before thee that we wouldn't stand a chance if we were to be judged particularly on everything that we are guilty of. As it is written in the Psalms, Lord, if thou, O Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And that sometimes seems a strange expression to us because forgiveness should make us surely joyful rather than fearful. And yet, when we think of the power and the awesome majesty and might of a God offended by us and our sin, and we think, Lord, of how thou hast bowed down thine ear, to forgive us and at the price of the blood of thy beloved Son upon the cross, to take away our sin and to wash and cleanse us, then we have cause indeed to be bowed in wonder, love and praise and to reverence thee, our God. We thank Thee that we have such a Saviour. We thank Thee for this day, a fresh opportunity to come and to worship together. We thank Thee for one another, Lord, at this time of vacancy and when we really need to lean upon each other. We pray that Thou would strengthen, O Lord, the interim moderator and the office bearers and the members and adherents at this time. We pray, Lord, that as they seek to elect new deacons and elder, Lord, that Thou wouldst guide the minds and the decisions of Thy people. We pray, Lord, that all the teaching that has been received on these subjects would be of benefit and of help. 
We thank thee, Lord, for the years of faithful ministry that have gone before, and we pray that they may be able to be built upon for the future. We ask thee, O Lord, to remember our land and nation. We do pray, Lord, for those who rule over us, for the local councillors in our local council constituencies. We pray for them, that they would be guided and helped for our MSPs in Holyrood, for our First Minister and his government there, for our MPs in Westminster, for our Prime Minister and his government there, for our earthly King and his ministers of state, Lord, for all those who rule over us. We don't have to agree with them in order to be required to pray for them. And we do pray that thou wouldst raise up more men and women of godliness and integrity to offer themselves for public service, to have, O Lord, the courage that it surely takes to enter into the public domain and to take all the brickbats and all the attacks that come inevitably from being a Christian in public service. And so we pray thee, Lord, to raise up more. And we thank thee for the witness and example of those that we have. We pray thee, Lord, to guide and help those who seek uh, to spread thy word around the world for the missionaries laboring in other lands and for those, Lord, working in church plants and redevelopment in this land because we know that our own land is very much a missionary, missionary situation now with so, with so much heathenism and unbelief and godlessness and we just pray that thou wouldst yet have mercy upon our land that thou wouldst turn us again Lord God of our salvation so that we might be saved we ask thee Lord to remember uh, those in the poor uh, of our streets in our cities those Lord who have no homes and nowhere to lay their head in, in warmth and comfort at this time we ask thee Lord to minister to them we thank thee for all the means of outreach the lodging house missions and the outreach on the streets the work of the likes of the Salvation Army and others that seek to help those who are most vulnerable and we pray that as they receive something of the love and friendship of gospel grace it may cause them to think upon Jesus, the one who motivates people to such, uh, such deeds and such help. We know that we are so often ourselves inadequate in recognizing how blessed we are and uh, how so many more are so much worse off than we are. But we pray thee, Lord, to motivate us and to turn our hearts to give thanks always for what we have and to seek to share it more with others. We pray thee, Lord, to bless our children and young people. We thank thee, Lord, for each one of them. We know that each life is precious in thy sight. And to that end, we do pray, Lord, that thou wouldst, thou wouldst seek not only to have a, a safe environment, both in education and also in family life and in public life for our children and little ones to grow up in. But we pray also, Lord, for the sanctity of human life from the womb, O oh Lord, all the way through to old age. We know that there are those, even in our decision-making bodies, who seek to, to come down even harder on the sanctity of the unborn. Uh, those who seek to introduce euthanasia and the killing of our elderly and vulnerable. And we do pray, Lord, that thou wouldst protect us as a society from all these things. Help us to value, O Lord, the sanctity of life that thou dost give from conception to natural birth. For it is a gift of thee. 
Bless, O Lord, then those who are themselves young and vulnerable, those who are caring for them, those who are bringing up little children or older children at this time. And help us, each one, to remember that we are taught that we must become as little children if we would enter the kingdom of God. So be with us now, we pray. Help us and hear our individual prayers, spoken and unspoken. And forgive us, Lord, for all our sin, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I want you to think, if you can, for a wee moment, folks, especially amongst the younger ones. Supposing, say, your mum or your dad was going to seek to give the best present they could imagine to the other one. Say, your, your dad came up with this. I've got this brilliant idea of what to do for your mum. I know, and tells her, listen, darling, I've got, I've got this wonderful present to give you. I've gone, and, I've gone and booked tickets in the VIP lounge at Hamden for the game against England, and you'll be in the, the, the lounge there, and you'll have the, the best seats in the house. You'll get complimentary programmes, you'll have tea and coffee and things to eat at, at half time, and, and it'll be just great. The whole game, the atmosphere will be fantastic. You're, you're going to love this. You say, well, are you going to come with me? Oh, no, 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 no. It's, this is for you, darling. I'm, I've done this for you. I've, I've spent all this money on you so that you can enjoy this, this special treat. And, and uh, I'm not going to be there. Me, me and the lads, we're going to watch it around at Jimmy's house, you know, and we'll just watch it on the TV. But this is for you to see it live because I love you so much. I've done this just for you. And she might think, okay, well, thanks very much. But now that you come to mention it, I've gone and got a present for you too. Actually, I've gone and booked this weekend at a health spa where you can get your legs waxed and you can get your nails done and, and a manicure and pedicure and you have them lovely polished and painted. You can, you can get a massage with lovely scented oils and you get your hair done and maybe tinted highlights or whatever it is you want and, and you can have a facial and you'll, you'll come back just feeling like a whole new person and thinking, okay, well... Thanks very much. Great, but you know, you gonna be there? Oh no, no, no! This is for you. This is. I love you so much. I've done this exactly what what I think would be the best possible gift to give you. Now, what's wrong with these particular things? That both of these people who love each other so much have sought to do for the other one. Well, obviously, they're thinking in terms of. This is something I think is great. So why would they not want it? Surely they're going to want this best of all gifts. And I've, you know, I've gone to a lot of trouble. And I've gone and got, they've made these bookings and I've, I've spent a lot of money. And so, you know, they should be really pleased with this. And I don't doubt that in either case, the individual concerned recognises the, the love that's gone into it, the, the thoughtfulness that's gone into it, the expense that has been gone into it. But at the end of the day, not really what they wanted, is it? At the end of the day, it's something the person who's giving it thought would be a nice thing, but they didn't really listen to what the other one might have thought. Really, these gifts are round the wrong way, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're the opposite of what would really be considered the best, most enjoyable gift they could have at such expense and at such trouble. But sometimes, you know, that's what we do with regard to God. We think in terms of, what can I give to God? What can I do for the Lord? And we think, what would I like? If it's me, what would I consider that if I do this for God, God should be pleased? Instead of listening 
to what he says in his word instead of going to what he himself prescribes and being able to say well actually God says this and that, that's totally different from what I would think what I would do but this is what God wants and this is what he says well fair enough I suppose that's what I should do you see when it comes to doing things to please God and to serve God he himself has actually told us the kind of things that are important to him rather than simply the things that are important to us lots of people mean well when it comes to doing what they think are works that God will be pleased with and delighted with but if if our works and our efforts are really going to serve and please and delight the Lord then they have to be according to what he himself has set out in his word. We're going to look at that a little bit further on uh, in the course of the service. But if it's something, something maybe even the kids can remember, you know, when you're going to give somebody a present, whether your mum or your dad mean to, mean to do the best thing for each other that they could possibly do, it's always a good idea to listen to what they themselves might want and tailor it accordingly. If we do that for those we love in this world, we should do that also for God. Listen to what he says in his word and seek to serve him with what he specifies rather than what we ourselves might just want. So we're going to sing now in Psalm 90 and we're going to sing from verse 14 talking about our works being established because we want to serve God with our works. Okay, bye-bye kids. Psalm 90, we'll sing from verse 14 to the end. Oh, with thy tender mercies, Lord, us early satisfy, so we rejoice shall all our days, and still be glad in thee, according as the days have been wherein we grief have had, and years wherein we ill have seen, so do thou make us glad. Oh, let thy work and power appear, thy servants face before, and show unto their children dear thy glory evermore, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be us upon, our handiworks establish thou, establish them each one. Psalm 90, they'll sing these last four stanzas, verses 14 to 17, to God's praise.
Well, let's read together from God's Word as we find it in the Scriptures of the New Testament in the Gospel according to St. Matthew at chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read the verses 1 to 20, a relatively familiar passage in the Sermon on the Mount. St. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at the first verse. Hear the Word of God. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. And the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his own most holy word. We'll sing again to the Lord's praise in Psalm number 85. Psalm 85, of which we'll sing the verses 8 to 13. That's the last four stanzas. Psalm 85 at verse 8. I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. To his folk he'll speak peace. And to his saints, but let them not return to foolishness. And so on to the end. Yea, what is good the Lord shall give. Our land shall yield increase. Justice to set us in his steps shall go before his face. Verses 8 to 13. Last four stanzas from Psalm 85 to God's praise.
Well, let us pray. Gracious and loving Lord, we pray that thy justice and righteousness would indeed go before thee, and that that righteousness, that justice, would indeed light the way for us, as thy word, which is thy truth, may be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, it is written in thy word, the path of the just is as a shining light, shining more and more unto the perfect day. And Lord, until that perfect day comes, when thou dost return in glory, until that day keep us faithful and our feet in the right path, guided by the light that thou givest through thy word. Help us then, we pray, and bless thy word to us now as we read it and think upon it. And forgive us for all our sin, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And so in Matthew chapter 5, we read at verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works are not really a subject with which we're terribly comfortable as Protestant Christians. We tend to be suspicious a wee bit of anything to do with works and think, ah yeah, but it's all of grace and it's all of God's Spirit, which it is. Nevertheless, the Scriptures are quite clear that all those who are the Lord's are to be outworking their faith, putting it into practice. And Jesus himself spells this out here, especially at verse 16, but all through the Sermon on the Mount here. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our forefathers, who by God's undoubted guidance and inspiration were able to draft our church's confession of faith, eh, devoted an entire chapter to the subject of good works and what they were and what they weren't. And from the Word of God, it's quite clear, and also, of course, in the confession itself and other places, that the purpose of any good works is to glorify God. This is what Jesus himself said. They may see your good works, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The purpose of good works is to glorify God. Not necessarily, especially not necessarily, that everything that you do will indeed should be seen publicly. Some of it will and should be unseen. If we were to go on uh, to chapter 6 uh, in Matthew's account of the Gospel, we'd see, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father which is in heaven. And verse 4, so your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you will reward you openly. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, or will reward you openly. Verses 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your treasure is in heaven, nobody sees it here on earth. And if you're praying in secret, nobody sees you do it. And if you're giving your, uh, your, your, good, your good gifts and your charity and so on to those in need, nobody ought to see you doing it. But whilst we have to take care that we attend to the unseen requirements of our faith, 
prayer and Bible reading and giving to the poor and to those in need and uh, supporting missionary causes and so on. We have to recognize this is to be done in the same way as, for example, the athlete must be diligent in his or her training. Uh, the student or the scholar has to be diligent in their, their swatting or their revision. I mean, all the times, the hours that they're burning the midnight oil, closeted away in their room over a, you know, a wee sort of uh, angle poised lamp and just one wee pool of light and the rest of the room's in darkness and they're slogging away and writing their notes and doing their revision and nobody sees or knows that. But when it comes to the exam on the day, everybody will be aware of what they have or haven't done in the secrecy of their own room. Nobody sees the athlete when he or she is having to get up at four o'clock in the morning and be pounding the road and, uh, and running or going round the track or doing the, doing the circuits in the gym or the, the weights or whatever it is and they're just, they're just sweating away and huffing and puffing. Nobody sees it. Nobody gives them any credit for it. But then when it comes to the public appearance, when the student appears at the exam, or at his or her graduation, when the athlete is there on the track at the Olympics or where the Commonwealth Games or whatever it might be, everybody's going to know then what they've put in in secret and what they've done when nobody was looking so that when it is public, everybody sees the clear interconnectedness between that which is inward and that which is outward in public. So likewise... We who seek to live as Christians must ensure that our inward and our outward lives are worthy of each other and are honouring to the Lord. And without that which is in secret, that which is in public will be all too transparent as to how good or not it may be. But if this then is the purpose of good works, to glorify the Lord, which Jesus says it is, you know, we saw that in verse 16 there, then it follows that we cannot by definition do that in a state of unbelief. Let me just say that again. We cannot by definition glorify God with any good works in a state of unbelief. You know, as Hebrews says, chapter 11, verse 6, you know, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And in John 15, we see in verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This means that it is impossible to do any good works in a state of unbelief a non-christian cannot by definition do anything that would constitute good works in the sight of the lord now that may need a wee bit of clarification or qualification but that's the teaching of scripture a non-christian cannot do anything that would constitute good works in the eyes of the lord good works in any case are only those things which God has commanded in his word and not things that men have invented or just decided of themselves that this or that should be pleasing to the Lord. You know, you think of the health spa or the Hamlin tickets or whatever. You know, great ideas, but not exactly the thing that was going to please the other one best. What is going to please God best 
It's what he himself has revealed in his word. And the most important thing in the entire Bible that God commands men and women to do is to repent and believe in his son Jesus Christ. If we're not doing that, which to God is the most important thing of all, then he's not going to be impressed with anything else that we do. In John chapter 6, people said to Jesus, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he has sent. And before we do anything else for the Lord, or supposedly for the Lord, we have to begin by doing that which he himself counts as most important. Now, this fact is important because so many people build their hopes for any afterlife, for any future beyond this world, on a sense of having had and lived a a good life, as they see it, having done some good things in it, and as they would see it, having done very little harm, or at least rationalizing that the good in their life outweighs the bad, as they see it. But the whole point is that without Christ, nothing we do is by definition good in the sight of the Lord. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us this. And all our best efforts without Christ continue to be, as St. Augustine famously put it, mere splendid sins. They may be splendid, they may look great, but they're just sins the end of the day mere splendid sins now church's confession of faith often gets criticized for spelling out this fact as it says if you can just quote from one of its paragraphs 70 of the 16th chapter works done says by unregenerate men although for the matter of them they may be things which god commands and of good use both to themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from an heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner, according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God, or make a man meet to receive grace from God. And yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing to God. Now, sometimes folk like to say, oh, that's just stupid. That's just like a a kind of catch-22 situation. You're damned if you do these things, and you're damned if you don't. So what hope is there? But all it is saying is, firstly, that everything you do in a state of sin which is the state we were all born and conceived into. It's the state that we're all in by nature. And until we are converted by God's grace, we continue in that state. Everything you do in a state of sin will be, by definition, sinful. Let me say that again. Everything you do in a state of sin will be, by definition, sinful. If you think in the same way, let, let's take an example. You know, let's say you've got a farmer and his wife, and they're, uh, they've got guests coming round that evening. And, uh, but the farmer's been out all day working in the yard, and he's been shoveling manure. And he's been working hard and shoveling away and loading up on the trailer and, and working on it. He's begun to get clarted all over his boiler suit and everything, and he's, he's covered in it. But, you know, he, he comes in, in the, just before tea time, he takes his boots off very carefully, and then he says to his wife, 
can I help you now because we've got these folk coming you know so well, uh, I'll spread the tablecloth will you get the nice white tablecloth out the drawer and I'll, I'll help you spread it and she's going no no don't go off you go and get a shower and change your clothes and then you can come back and help me but don't touch anything just now you're covered and he went, well, I just want to help. I just want to do what I can. Get your nice white tablecloth out. Bring out the best china. And I'll, I'll, I'll fold this, the napkins for you and everything. And, and set everything out. And dust down the best chairs. And, and so on. I said, no, don't touch anything. Why is he not to touch it? Because he's covered head to toe. In what he's been shoveling all day. And until he gets washed and cleaned and changes his clothes, anything he touches is going to be affected by that. By the same token, if you take great big bath towel with you, and a smaller towel as well, and you put on your, your, your snorkel and your, your face mask and your flippers, and you go in and wade into the sea, and so it's way over your head, you're underwater, it doesn't matter how much you rub yourself with a towel underwater, you're going to be wet. You can't get yourself dry no matter how much you rub yourself with as many towels as you like while you're underwater. Everything you do is going to be wet. You're not going to be able to get dry until you come up out of the water. And the sun begins to dry you a wee bit and heat you. And then you get a dry towel, whatever, you might be able to dry yourself. But while you're still underwater, everything you do will be wet. While you're still in a state of sin, everything you do will be sinful. Whilst you're still covered head to toe in manure, everything you touch will be defiled by it. Whilst we are still in an unregenerate state, everything we do is by definition sinful. That's all the confession of faith. The Bible itself is teaching. And the other thing is just, just, just common sense. You know, even in a state of sin, even in a state of sin and unbelief, cruelty is always worse than kindness. Even if a complete unbeliever is doing it, they're still capable of kindness. Or they're capable of cruelty. Cruelty is always worse than kindness. Neglect is worse than attentiveness. Adultery is worse than faithfulness. Reneging on bills is worse than paying them promptly. And even for Christians, there is a danger that just doing these basic things might puff them up with the idea that they are good. But again, listen to what Jesus says about what actually constitutes good in his sight. Further on in Matthew 5, beyond where we stop reading, it says at verses 46 and 47, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Now these are two people groups who as far as the Jews of Jesus' day were concerned were just scum of the earth. They were the lowest of the low. You know, the tax collectors were like total traitors, quizlings, who had sort of collaborated with the Romans. The Gentiles were just like dogs. You know, the outside of even humanity sort of thing. And Jesus is saying, they do the things that you think are specially good works. In Luke 6, verse 32, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But if you want to be different, you want to really show something different, love your enemies, 
Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be the sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And in Luke 17, Jesus says at verse 10, So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, We're just unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. In other words, nobody can outgood God. Nobody can make God their debtor by saying, I've done so many good works. I've done so many good things in my life. God really owes me. When it gets to heaven, I'm going to be well in there because look at all the good things I've done in my life. God is going to be so impressed. God isn't even going to give it a second look unless, first of all, we put our trust in his beloved son, Jesus. And if we have, and he's planted his seed and his spirit within us, then that is going to begin to change us. And as it grows and as it takes root downwards and spreads its branches and its fruit upwards, it's going to change the kind of person we are. Because anyone can lend to somebody to get back again. Anyone can be kind to those who are kind to them. What God wants to see in us is our our nature and spirit being not like the world and like nature, but like him. And what he does is he loves his enemies. And so he wants us to do that. What he does is that when somebody smites him on the one cheek, he just turns the other one. He keeps on forgiving, even though human nature would say, well, that's it, that's enough. No way am I going to forgive anymore. This then is how we have to demonstrate that Christ is alive in us and changing us. So if we cannot outgood God, we cannot make him his debtor, how much less then can we count as good works that which God has not himself commanded or required? We mentioned previously that good works are only those things which God has commanded in his word, not things that men have invented or just decided that this or that should be pleasing to the Lord. You know, in a former age, the church encouraged pilgrimages and veneration of relics or observing certain holy days or saints' days, none of which had any biblical warrant. Nowadays, of course, it is claimed that the church is acting in line with God's will if she is open and inclusive and tolerant enough to regard all religions as equal and all sins as acceptable. But that is not how God sees it in his word. Even if we go back to the Old Testament, we think of the case of Samuel and Saul. And Saul was told he had a mission to accomplish against the Amalekites, which was complete annihilation. Why the Lord would command that, we don't know, but he did command that. And Saul thought, well, seems a bit of a waste, you know. Um, if, we, if, we, if we annihilate the people, that's okay, but I'll bring the king back. That'll, that'll make me look good and, and triumphant and so on. And it seems a bit of a waste to slaughter all the flocks and herds and everything. You know, we, we, could, we could make sacrifices to God with them and, and maybe we could keep some of them for ourselves. And, and the people will think, yeah, it's a much better idea. But Saul has had his commandment from God. So we read in 1 Samuel chapter 15 from verse 20, Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission of which the Lord sent me. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek. I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Notice the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? 
Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. Now a few verses later, Saul admits it and says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And that's what he did, really. He obeyed the voice of the people instead of the voice of God. And even where the intention to honour the Lord is genuine, if we take a different example in the Old Testament, think of David, who was a man after God's own heart. And he got it in his head. He thought, you know, here am I living in a palace. And the ark of God, it's, it's in a tent. You know, that's not right. God should have the best. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. But the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Which, of course, he was. And then the Lord later on spoke to David through Nathan the prophet. He said, In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? And then in verses 12 and 13 he says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. You see, the danger of men deciding for themselves what is pleasing to God rather than having the humility to investigate what he says in his word is not a new problem. In Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, uh, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So far, we can establish what good works are most certainly not. They are not works done by unbelieving non-Christian people. And even what is done by the Lord's people is not necessarily good works unless God in his word has said it. So what do we classify as good works? What can we say that they are? Well, Jesus has already given us some examples. Well, we'll go back to Luke chapter 6 and see what he says in verse 27. He says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And then from verse 35, Love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. See again what the Lord is saying here. Anyone can behave as the world behaves. What he's looking for in his children is to do that which the world does not expect. That which doesn't come from just fallen human nature. That which comes from the divine seed. The divine spirit planted within 
his children, which then grows there and demonstrates who they belong to. This is part of the message of the gospel, that because God is no man's debtor, you never will be the poorer for living out that gospel. You might think, well, I'm going to lose if I give to these people and don't just lend to receive it back. If I, if I let them treat me like dirt, well, they're, they're just going to think they can walk all over me and I'm going to be worse off. You will never be the poorer in the end for living out what God requires of us. It will mean a measure of self-giving, of sacrifice. But that is part of the Christian witness anyway. We could be having a long lie on the Sabbath. But if we are the Lord's, then we are in his house at the time of worship. We could be doing our own thing in the middle of the week in our own time. But if we are the Lord's, then prayer together with his people in his house is part of our outward witness, reflecting our inward priority or lack of it. We could just keep ourselves to ourselves or spout whatever gossip or slander we felt like. But that isn't doing good, is it? Not doing what God's word says anyway, is it? James chapter 1 says in verse 22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, uh, forgets what he was like, uh, liberty, and, and perseveres in it, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, giving out of ourselves for the benefit of others because we belong to Christ is part of our witness. It's partly what the New Testament means by that old AV word, communicate. Like when it says in Hebrews 13 at verse 16, But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Or as we have it here in the ESV, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And it is a sacrifice. It is a giving out of ourselves to those in greater need, like the Philippians did for Paul. Philippians 4 verse 14, Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Or as we have it, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And again, there's this sense that the Lord gives us of his bounty precisely so that we can give it out and share it. What we receive from the Lord, we give not so that we can sit on our hands, not so that we can build bigger barns and fill them up to the brim with all the riches God has given us, but rather, as First Timothy puts in chapter 6, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This generosity with his own abundance is what the Lord himself is like and he wants his children to be like him 
Again, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 44. I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Because his children, being like their father, show and prove to the world that they really are truly his and that pleases him. It honors him. It glorifies him. I'm sure every parent likes to see some attributes or aspects of themselves in their children. Sometimes, sadly, it's our bad habits as well that appear in our children, as well as just traits that we hope might be a little bit more noble or appearances that make them look a bit like us. But it delights parents to see their children being like them, and it delights our Heavenly Father to see His children being like Him. So, if you truly are His, you have so much cause for thankfulness, so much reason to rejoice and to exercise your faith in practical, merciful outworkings of witness in your love for Him. Showing that love for him by your public witness and worship and in your love for others. Remember what Jesus said about the two greatest commandments. Jesus answered the most commandment, the most important commandment of all that is, is hear O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the most important commandment of all Jesus says. And he says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Or as Matthew puts it in chapter 22, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This light was meant to shine. Christians are meant to be doing good and it will inevitably be seen and be known about without trumpets, without broadcasting, without boasting. It will out. It will be seen because, you know, if a house is dark but there's light in one room, let's say you're going through, creeping through a house, it's pitch black, but you can see under the crack in the door there's light in that room. The door's shut. Or maybe it's open just a crack, but there's light coming out through that crack in the door. And maybe if the door is old and it's worn and it's full of cracks itself, the light's going to be coming out through every little crack and nook and cranny in that door. You can't keep it down. It's always going to be visible. Out into the darkness, the light shines. And if you open the door more, more light comes out. Well, if you open the curtains and the light floods in in the morning into your previously dark room, the more you make available, the more light comes in. Now, that is part of why Christians are in the world. Jesus said, and we read it previously, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house. That is part of how we show whose children we are and who our Father is. And when we do it, and when we do it according to his word, when we do it right, he is glorified. That is what good works are. And that is what they are for. 
in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we are so conscious that we fail to do what we should do. We fail to please Thee by our works because they are not often very good works. But we pray that by Thy Spirit, Lord, Thou wouldst help us to seek more in Thy Word for what Thou wouldst have us to do, what Thou wouldst want us to do, that we may try, Lord, by Thy power and Spirit to love those who are at enmity with us, to forgive those who have wronged us, because all of us have got people who have wronged us. And all of us, if we're honest, have done wrong to other people. And probably in most cases there's a bit of both. So help us then to be ready to forgive those who have wronged us. And even when they've actually harmed us, that we wouldn't demand reparation or payment, but that we would turn the other cheek. We would let it go and not resist the evil. because Not because we're weak, not because somehow it's right they get away with it, but rather because this is what Jesus did. And this is what the Lord has done for us. And if we're truly to be his children then we have to be like him. And thou knowest, O Lord, that that costs. And it costs us what it feels like in our own nature and what we really want to do with all the old nature that's still in us. But we pray, Lord, that thy spirit would overcome that and cause us to be more like Jesus and to show whose children we are called and born again to be. So bless thy word to us and help us truly to seek to live out our faith with the good works that thou hast commanded, that our light may indeed shine and glorify thy name. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We'll close our worship then this morning singing to the Lord's praise in Psalm 115, Psalm 115, of which we'll sing uh, the verses marked 12 to 18, that's four stanzas in Psalm 115. The Lord of us hath mindful been, and he will bless us still. He will the house of Israel bless, bless Aaron's house he will, and so unto the end the dead nor who to silence go. God's praise do not record, but henceforth we forever will bless God. Praise ye the Lord. These last four stanzas, uh, verses 12 to 18, from Psalm 115 to God's praise.
now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Heavenly Father, and the communion of God the Holy Ghost rest upon you and remain with you each one this day and forevermore.